Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, March 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a funding spat between the State House and Senate will likely result in a special session now that budget deadlines have passed. We'll have more on tug-of-war on Transportation Department funding. Then a StoryCorps love of family overcomes miles and the difficulty of dementia. Plus, why a government health organization is warning African Americans about kidney disease. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Budget talks at the Capitol are at an impasse over funding for the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Yesterday, prior to a 6 p.m. deadline, the House voted unanimously to send the Department of Transportation's budget back to committee for more work. What happened next was the almost simultaneous release of competing official statements from House Speaker Philip Gunn and Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves, both Republicans. Reeves was first at 5.32, blaming Gunn and the House for trying to raise taxes taxes on Mississippians through an internet sales tax. Guns released just a few moments later said the delay was a shot across the bow aimed at senators who Gunn says aren't doing enough to fund repairs to roads and bridges. Speaker Philip Gunn says the accusation of raising taxes is not accurate. The press release that I saw called what we had done an unconstitutional tax. There is no tax in here. That is just a misstatement. It is. It is a. It is an error. It is a, a failure to really understand what our report does. The, the the conference report that we delivered on on a Saturday night as part of the negotiations simply says that if we ever collect any internet tax, a portion of that would go to roads. The language here is clear on that. It does not implement any tax. And no proposal that we have sent down there implements any tax. I know 480 was passed earlier in the session, and neither it did not implement a tax. It was simply a statement that uh, whatever taxes, uh, there's a tax already on the books, and it was just simply saying that those taxes would be collected and devoted to roads and bridges. But that's not even what this bill is. Speaker Gunn explains he sees a number of ways the state could collect funds. Well, one way that you could collect internet tax is a voluntary payment of it. I think Amazon has done that. So what this conference report says is that any amounts above $50 million, between $50 million and $250, would be devoted to roads and bridges. So the first $50 million, and again, this was to respond to an objection that was raised uh, by the other end, was that we would take money out of the the general fund. Uh, 
so we, we exempted the first $50 million. So if you, you take people like Amazon and others who voluntarily remit the tax, first $50 million of that would be exempted. And then the amounts between $50 million and $250 would be devoted to roads and bridges and the amounts above that. But it's not the implementation of a tax. It just says whatever we collect, a portion of that would be devoted to roads and bridges. Another way that, that could uh, result in, in more collections would be if the Supreme Court reverses itself on the Quill case. Another way would be if Congress were to act. But all this report says is if any of those things are to happen, then whatever monies we would collect would be, a portion thereof would be devoted to roads and bridges. So... For his part, Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves says he heard a different story about why the transportation budget was sent back to committee. He says it was originally blamed on representatives objecting to a series of projects. Projects, Reeves says, they all supported before. It was uh, reported on the House floor earlier that the bill for the Mississippi Department of Transportation was recommitted uh, because of projects that were in the appropriation bill. Um, It was reported uh, by a Democrat member of the House of Representatives that that was the case. That's certainly their prerogative to stand on the House floor and lie. Um, That's not the way we do things in the Senate, but that's their prerogative to do that if they choose to. But what I want you to know as members of the media is every single one of those projects that's in the bill was in last year's bill. Every single one of those earmarked bills, and you can look it up online, Those projects were in the bill last year, and let me just hand this out to you. This was the vote on the floor of the House last year to fund every single one of these projects. As you can see, 120 members of the House voted last year to fund these projects. Reeves also disagrees with Speaker Gunn on Internet sales taxes. Reeves says it does amount to a new tax and that House members are lying when they say it isn't. What this is about is the Internet sales tax. And they so badly want to raise the Internet sales tax that they're willing to blow up a budget agreement that they agreed to. And so as we look at uh, where we find ourselves, House Republicans are going to have to decide, is raising taxes on Mississippians important enough to them that they're going to blow up the budget deal? Is raising taxes, unconstitutionally raising taxes, important enough to them that they're willing to go against an agreement that they made, that they agreed to. Still, the lieutenant governor says there is open communication between both legislative leaders and the administration. The the speaker and I are good friends. Uh, The governor and I are good friends. The speaker and I are good friends. Uh, We've had very um, honest conversations with one another, uh, as we often do as we get towards the end of the 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 process. Um, and uh, and uh, he is aware that, that they will have the opportunity to um, honor their commitment uh, that their three conferees made, uh, sign the conference report, and, and not blow up the budget. Um, because if they blow up the budget, we know what's going to happen. Uh, either the governor is going to have to try to figure out a way to run the Department of Transportation, or the governor is going to have to call us into a special session. Again, an irresponsible decision made by House Republicans to spend $30,000 a day in a special session after they have reneged on the commitment that they claim uh, to have made. Speaker Gunn disagrees, saying there has not been adequate communication. He explains how, from his point of view, the House has already made compromises to appease the Senate. The stated objection to 480 was that it was 
the implementing an internet tax. So, to address that objection, we stepped back and we wrote 2939, which says we're not implementing the tax, but whatever comes in via the tax, we're going to devote a portion of it to roads and bridges. The stated objection then was, well, you're diverting $40 million away from the general fund. So we stepped back again to address that objection. We wrote a, a, a third time and put the $50 million threshold in there to remove that objection. So each time we've done something, we've stepped back, tried to address the stated objection to eliminate any objection to this. And that's part of the frustration I think you saw today is let's have this discussion then. Let's talk. If you've got a problem, tell us what it is. And there's just been no line of communication there. As it stands now, the Mississippi Department of Transportation is not funded after June 30th. No word yet on when a special session will be called to work out the details of MDOT's budget. In other news, more Mississippians are clocking in today as the state's unemployment rate has declined. As MPB's Alexis Ware reports, the unemployment rate is the lowest since May 2001. 10,000 more people are working in the state of Mississippi today. That's the latest report from the Mississippi Department of Employment Security. It shows that the unemployment rate for February was 5.2 percent three-tenths lower than the rate in January and nearly one percent lower than February last year. Mary Willoughby is Chief of Labor Market Information at the Department of Employment Security. The economy is looking better. The unemployment rate is on a steady decrease. It's been decreasing for about, um, steadily decreasing every month for about the last four years or more. And the number of employed has gone up. With 10,300 people gaining employment in February, the labor force, those employed and looking for employment, is the largest it's been since October 2012. State economist Darren Webb says the decline in unemployment is a slight improvement for Mississippi's economy, but it is still lagging. In Mississippi, we're seeing slow growth. That's what it says. It says that the economy is growing at a slow pace. Uh, it is growing. It is, it's gaining. And in fact, the pace has increased uh, in 2015 and 2016, over the previous few years, not strong, not as strong as the southeastern region, not as strong as the uh, the nation, but it is picked up relative to what we had been seeing. Webb says when the national economy is growing at a slower rate, Mississippi is directly affected. Alexis Ware, MPB News. Find out why a government health organization is warning African Americans about kidney disease. That's coming up after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi ranks 50th in child well-being. So what makes a child healthy and well? So it's not merely the absence of disease, but social, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. There's so much more to the health of a child that I think we need to drastically change our view of what health care is. Parents share their stories as Southern Remedy explores what prevents Mississippi's children from growing up well. Thursday, March 30th on MPB TV. Jackson artist Ann Camille Saunders first came to Mississippi after her mother moved here in the late 1970s. Although Ann's mother meant to stay only a semester, she loved it and made Jackson her new home. Saunders came back more permanently when her mother was diagnosed with dementia around 2006. 
And that's the story Anne Camille Saunders shares with StoryCorps. I first came to Mississippi because my mother came to Mississippi. She arrived in Mississippi in, uh, I believe it was 1977. And um, she came at the invitation of Margaret Walker Alexander. She and Margaret were good friends. And uh, Margaret invited her to do a semester of teaching at Jackson State University. And my mother had recently finished two master's degrees at Boston University. And she welcomed the invitation. She was still at the time working for Johnson Publishing Company in Chicago, Illinois. We were all like, wow, mom's going to Mississippi. (laughs) Hmm, where did that come from? (laughs) But um, to our surprise, she really liked it. And within two years had bought a home and decided that this was going to be her second home. Shortly after, I think in fact during her first year down here, I traveled down here with my sons and fell in love with what she fell in love with. The people were beautiful and the the state was lovely and we loved the fact that she was teaching and she was happy. That being said, here we are many, many years later. I certainly have come back frequently to visit my mother But in, I guess, 2005, my mom was diagnosed with dementia, and uh, she didn't remember that she had been diagnosed, so she didn't know to tell anybody. (laughs) But there were signs for all of us to recognize. In one of my visits, I guess probably around 2006, I decided that it was time for me to look at joining her here and... um, becoming basically her caregiver. I had made commitments to her over the years that that was something that I was willing to do, be with her in her declining years or in her advancing years. So in 2007, I came back to figure out how best to achieve the move. And in 2008, the move was finalized. I'm very happy that I was able to be with her for six years was very difficult, very challenging, but I wouldn't trade the time for anything in the world. My mother was a remarkable woman. Sort of like when you grow up with somebody, you just don't realize how profoundly special they are. And I guess everyone in their own way is special. I'm fortunate enough to have recognized this about my mom. She was a writer, she was an educator, The biggest realization for me was probably she loved me more than anyone else in the world. Mm -hmm. And any love that I have to give is because I was so loved by her. We can say that she was an influence. Um, Her love definitely influenced you deeply, um, both in your move to Mississippi as well as how you share that love with, with others. That influence is something that, in, from your words, that, that's very significant. Would you say that she was the most influential or most important person in your life? I would have to say, yes, she probably was the most influential and, in many ways, the most important. I have had a wonderful career as an artist and educator. My mother recognized a talent in me, interest in me, a passion in me. So I was put into art school when I was five years old at the Art Institute of Chicago and have had a 
art career all of my life. My mom was a tremendous influence on my life. She got me engaged in genealogy. She got me interested in antiques and thrift store shopping and all kinds of, <laughs> you know, just just things that I think um, give me great joy. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. African-American Mississippians are three times more likely to experience kidney disease than their white counterparts. That's why the National Institute of Health, Institutes of Health are spending this month raising awareness about the disease. Kidney disease doesn't have many of the conspicuous symptoms of some other diseases, but those with diabetes and hypertension are particularly at risk. The NIH's Dr. Griffin Rogers joins us to talk more about the risks of kidney disease. Diabetes and high blood pressure are the most common causes of kidney disease uh, in this country. People with early kidney disease usually have no signs or symptoms, and it's for that reason that our organization, uh, NIDDK, is encouraging people with diabetes or high blood pressure, particularly African Americans, because they are at higher risk for these uh, conditions to A, get tested for kidney disease, and B, talk about kidney health with their family and their faith communities. How does it manifest itself? The causes, again, are are diabetes and high blood pressure. The kidneys are important for a couple of reasons. One, regulating the amount of fluid, electrolytes, and waste that we produce each day during normal metabolism. It also produces a hormone that's important for keeping our blood count high. So uh, as you develop kidney disease and your kidneys begin to fail, there's evidence that its ability to filter out those waste products are lost. Uh, And uh, at the very extreme, just before you're developing kidney failure, that fluid begins to accumulate um, because these toxic waste products accumulate. You can develop some nonspecific symptoms, and you will become anemic because the kidneys aren't putting out that important hormone. And obviously, when you become anemic, you have... You tire easily, you can't exercise and things like that. So those are the manifestations. Unfortunately, those manifestations occur so late in the game that it's generally difficult to either prevent or delay the eventual complete loss of kidney function. Do you treat kidney disease by treating the cause of it? You do both. You You try to optimize if someone has diabetes causing the kidney disease. You try to get their blood sugar under control, if their blood pressure is a cause, you get those blood pressure numbers within a specific goal. In either case, you try to maintain their cholesterol at a good number, and if they smoke, have them to stop smoking. Now, in addition to those factors, there are specific drugs that are available uh, independent of the cause of the kidney disease that can slow the progression of chronic kidney disease to end-stage kidney disease, in which case people would require either dialysis 
or a transplant to sustain life. Can someone stay on dialysis forever? Indefinitely. Unfortunately, as one has uh, end-stage kidney disease, um, the, they tend to manifest other complications, such as heart disease and others. And it's usually those other complications, a tendency to develop infections more easily. It's those complications which ultimately uh, uh, shortens the life expectancy uh, of patients. If you're on dialysis, however, there's a possibility that you may be able to undergo a kidney transplant if you have a a donor, either a recently deceased donor or a living relative or friend or or thereabouts. And, and, And that is a way to to uh, restore kidney function in people who uh, have, uh, you know, a donor available. Of course, not everyone is eligible for transplant, but that's another option. You mentioned that diabetes um, can lead to kidney disease. Is that type 1 and type 2? Yes, yes, it absolutely is. And for your listeners, type 1 is a disease which is autoimmune in nature. Uh, It used to be called juvenile diabetes, uh, but for some reason... um, the body triggers an autoimmune response, which which really kills the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. Type two, which is the most more common form, and probably accounts for about 90% of the patients that have diabetes in this country, uh, is was previously called adult onset, uh, and that's usually associated with uh, obesity or, or being overweight, and, and it causes insulin resistance. So you're at least early on, your pancreas is making sufficient quantities of insulin. It's just that it's not working well enough to lower the blood sugar to a, a, a normal range. But yes, the complications of both type 1 and type 2 diabetes are the same. They include kidney disease. They include eye disease, heart disease. Uh, it's the number one cause of non-traumatic amputation of limbs uh, in this country as well. Because you're uh, speaking directly to African Americans regarding this, is there a difference in culture or is there a difference in the way we're wired that would make kidney disease more prevalent in African Americans? It's a little of both. You know, one is the uh, diabetes and high blood pressure because they are uh, they're much more prevalent among African Americans. One would expect that the complications of those conditions would be more common in African-Americans as well. But also kidney disease tends to run in families, uh, independent of the diabetes and high blood pressure. And so you have a family member, certainly a first-degree relative, your parents, your brother, your uh, aunt, and, and, and others, you're more likely to develop it. Uh, research has actually shown, specifically in African-Americans, that there is a, a particular type of, uh, a type of a gene which is prevalent, uh, this variant of this gene is prevalent in about 15% of African-Americans. And if you have this gene, you're more likely to develop chronic kidney disease and you're more likely to progress to, uh, to end-stage kidney disease. And, and in really having this variant of this gene accounts for the substantial amount of this overrepresentation or disproportionate numbers of kidney disease that we see among African Americans. Dr. Griffin P. Rogers is director of the NIDDK, which is National Institute Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Dr. Rogers, thank you very much. Thanks so much. And, and just a, a final point, um, 
they can download this information, and they can go to our website, niddk.nih.gov, download this information, and read other important information about diabetes, weight control, and the like. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Money Talks. Then at 10 o'clock, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, now offering an online master's degree in teaching. A state license can be earned after the first summer semester with an opportunity to teach grades 7 through 12. Accepting applications now through May. More information at education.olemiss.edu.